welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Well, this is the CCM Investing Power Hour Take Two. This is the second one. We did one that was like a beta one. So I don't know. What, what is this show? We, we make sure we have no prep. You can't prepare anything. You might have some ideas in your head. You have to work it. Yeah, you can't take any notes. It's required. You Raw, have... unfiltered, <laughs> and unedited. We're going to talk for an hour. Um, it's live streamed on YouTube if you're listening to this on audio, but the replays will be on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, whatever. And we're just going to talk about anything that's happened in the past week or any ideas we've had in the investing finance world. I'm here with Ryan and Ian Gray, as always. Ian's been joining us now. When he has his new job coming up, he might be dipping out, but at least for the next few months. How are you guys doing today? Ian, you're on a live stream this morning. How was that? Or our spaces, right? No, it was a uh, it was a Zoom. So I'll give a quick shout out to Nathan Warden. Um, he, he puts on a thing called the market every um, every month. It's a little uh, stock pitching game where six people get to pitch a stock for three minutes and they do a couple of rounds and vote on the winner. And uh, so it's a fun thing. Get to hear a couple new stocks. There's a bunch of new stocks today that I hadn't heard of before. So um, you pitched Wix, always, always you? A fun thing. I did pitch Wix. I don't know. I'll have to admit, I don't think I gave the uh, best pitch today. I had a little bit of a fiasco this morning. And so I was actually pitching in the car trying to go through my PowerPoint on my phone. So um, I did not win this time, um, but it was it was a fun experience nonetheless. Give us what the, were the interesting uh, stocks. Give, give us the thumbnails of your pitch. I want to hear it. Yeah. So the, the thumbnail of the pitch for me is uh, basically it's, it's fairly straightforward. Wix has a good business with sticky customers. Once people are trying to um, once they build a website, it's a real pain to switch which place you're on. And they've got about 116% net revenue retention. So um, they're getting more and more from each customer every single year. Um, and so, you know, fairly sticky customers there. They're, they've got massive secular tailwinds because as much as it seems like there's already websites everywhere, um, everything I build basically now that nowadays you need a website for. And so people are constantly, I think I've made three websites in the last six months. Um, and people are constantly making new websites. Um, e-commerce, even though it feels like it's getting towards maturity here in the U.S., it's supposed to grow um, cumulatively another 50% over the next four years. So I think there's just a bunch of tailwinds. I don't think they have to grow market share that much. They just have to maintain market share um, and then continue to grow with their customers. And then the valuation case today, I think they're trading about a four times EV to sales, which if you assume 20% free cash flow margin, um, if you assume that they can get up to that sometime in the next five years, which I think is reasonable um, on their creative subscription business, their gross margins are about 75%. So if they can get up to around 20%, um, that implies uh, basically a market free cash flow multiple of about 20 times. And so then you're getting revenue growth, less, um, uh, less dilution as your return. So I think it's likely that over the next five years, they have double digit revenue growth. 
and uh, and fairly minimal dilution. And so then it leads to leads to double digit that, returns. You won. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, what I did say that. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's all right. We'll see what happens. I would have. Yeah, I needed. I needed you guys to jump in to help me skew the vote. We needed the chit chat money listeners in there, but yeah. The uh, oh, we're gonna get to probably some more topics, but I forgot to say today we do have. Uh, I do have to talk about a sponsor first. Knack bags. You may have heard it on the podcast, but I do we're have doing the that. bag in studio. Yeah, let me talk about them. Ian, you haven't seen these, but if you use the link in the show notes, you will be able to buy one of these great backpacks. You look at this. Ian, what do you think? It looks pretty snazzy. Everyone's listening. No one's watching, so everyone's listening on on the podcast. You have to go on the YouTube. But this thing has what, Ryan? How many pockets? Like an insane amount of pockets. Little story, and and it looks pretty normal, right? Let let me give you a little story. There, there's so many pockets that I was traveling to Mexico, and I I did not check all the pockets. I had put a bunch of stuff in the bag. I, I was using it for travel. It's also sort of a leisure and professional type bag. So, you know, I was using it for travel and uh, there was a bunch of like plastic cushioning in one of the pockets that I didn't know. Uh, and I got pulled over in customs because it looked like I was smuggling drugs. And so now, now that, that might not sound like an advertisement for knack bags, but that's just to say how many pockets there really are. And, you know, maybe check before going across the border, but it was uh, definitely an upgrade for my professional backpack. Oh yeah. And uh, it's a very, it's a nice hybrid bag. So use the link in the show notes. You'll see it there when you're watching this video or listening to the audio. It's a perfect bag for if you're a professional or whatever. Um, all right. Any topics today, guys? I wanted to talk about some things I was seeing on the Bitcoin 2022 conference, which I thought were kind of fun. You guys have any topics? I know Musk, Twitter thing's kind of old now, but there's there's some other stuff this week, right? Yeah, I've got no... Uh, I, I didn't watch the Bitcoin conference, so... I don't have any hot takes on that. Twitter news. I don't know if I want to go down that We're rabbit down. hole. Everyone's covered that the last few days. Ian, is I there think, anything that's been your I mind? I think we got to, we don't have to start with it, but I think we do have to touch on the Twitter news just a little bit. I don't want to dwell on it either, but, um, but right. let's start with, let's start with Bitcoin. Let's, okay, I, so I, I, I watched, I saw uh, a little bit of the conference, but I didn't see much of it. So I saw some tweets of some quotes from the Peter Thiel keynote and they were quite wild. So I decided to watch it. And I got to say it was wild. It was like he was riling up. It was like a political rally almost. It was quite strange. Like he would say, uh, well, what's funny is whenever he would say Bitcoin and he would compare it to like gold or something, the market cap or something like that, everyone would start cheering. And then he would talk. Uh, well, first off, at the beginning, he he showed like two hundred dollar bills as an example of what they used to do with PayPal to show how it was just like a form of money or whatever. And he was like, "Who wants this?" And then someone took it, and he was like, "I thought you guys hated fiat," which was a good joke. But uh, he, I don't know, had this speech, and it was quite strange. He called very explicitly Warren Buffett a sociopathic grandpa from Omaha who is the enemy. And I thought like, wow, all right, are they going to give us, uh, what are we going to get at the Berkshire meeting a month from now? Like, are we going to have to defend this? Uh, but it, it was weird. The Bitcoin conference in general seems strange to me. They had that like mechanical bull uh, as they're trying to become the new Wall Street or something like that. But I kind of think. What? I don't think, not a mechanical bull. It's not mechanical. Like, it was like a tech, it was like made of metal, right? Like real. Yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't like ride the bull, but the. Uh... <laughs> 
Right, right. Yeah, it was. He was meant to like emulate the Wall Street bull, but here's here was the gist of the 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 pitch for Bitcoin is that uh, Teal said in 1980, gold and stocks were one to one in market value at like 2.5 trillion dollars. Now equities are at 115 trillion dollars, and gold's only at I don't know 12 or something, and Bitcoin's below a trillion. And his thought was, well. Bitcoin's going to be as much as the stock market because it's the new gold. And that was the pitch. And everyone was like, yeah, that makes sense. And all the comments on YouTube said, wow, this is the best speech at the conference. I kind of came away underwhelmed because whenever I watch one of those things, I kind of just think like, this is it. Like, all it is is trying to convince everyone to buy something. I, I would think there would be more to it is, is all I'm saying. I didn't watch the Kathy Wood, Michael, Michael Saylor one. There was, they had a joint discussion which was 45 minutes uh sorry i couldn't watch that but maybe maybe another time i i don't know why but for some reason i feel like i have to defend buffett that's like my impulse whenever someone insults (laughs) him as if like he can't defend himself um but i just i don't it makes me lose so much respect for peter Thiel. like he is yeah he's a big macro guy Buffett's like the picture of integrity. Like he he's lived like he has such a good track record of like being honest and forthright and transparent. Like he, why go after him? Well, he likes fiat. That's why he's a part of the fiat system. Yeah. Was it just to please the crowd? I mean, I think it was, I think it was, they started booing. I don't know what it's kind of like that scapegoat type thing that, you know what I mean? Like it started, they started. Makes me sick. It was weird. The crowd, the, I don't know. Ian Eddie takes up Bitcoin 2022. I'm surprised the stock, the, the price of Bitcoin hasn't jumped up. I thought this was supposed to get the momentum going again. <laughs> well, I think, it, I don't know. I don't really have any thoughts or anything, at least smart to say. I think, um, I don't know. I think it's interesting because Bitcoin is in this weird spot now where everybody does know about it, right? There's not like, you don't run across anybody who's like never heard of Bitcoin, which like five years ago, you'd still run into people who hadn't heard of Bitcoin. Majority. Um, right. And so it's it's gotten this widespread adoption really fast. And so you can't really, like, I think back in the day, back in you know, 2013, 14, 15, 16, maybe even 17, you could say that well, this, the price is going to rise just because more people are going to learn about it and there's going to be more demand for it and all this type of stuff. Why there's going to be demand, you know, is a little bit, <laughs> a little less clear, but, but now like, it's not like anybody goes out and goes, Hmm, you know what, this Bitcoin thing, I didn't know about it. Now I do. Now I should go buy some, like everybody already has some opinion on Bitcoin. Um, and so I think I, I don't agree with the teal argument if I'm taking word for it, but that that it just is going to grow to match the stock market because that's what it was in the, yeah. you know, that's I, what the gold thing was well, in the 80s. He had a little bit more than that. It was comparing because it was at the end of the 70s, really high inflation era. And he basically said that's happening again, which may or may not be happening. It's only been about a year of high inflation right now. And he said at the end of that, gold kind of took off and matched it. And that's kind of why you want to be in Bitcoin. I think that 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 there is a correlation there maybe, but I don't know if like, just if there's a correlation, it means it's guaranteed to work. Uh, sorry. If you had anything else there. No, I, I think that that's, I think that that's good. I think, um, 
don't know. Like there's, I own a little bit of Bitcoin. I think I've talked about that before. It's kind of, it's less than 1% of everything I own of all my assets. And it's just kind of sitting there. And if it goes crazy, it goes crazy. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And it doesn't affect my life. Um, I think that there's some value for Bitcoin, but whether that's a dollar per Bitcoin or a million dollars per Bitcoin, I have no idea. Um, and that's probably the long way to talk about it anyways, talking about it relative to fiat, but, um, <laughs> but it's one, just, one it's Bitcoin just, is one Bitcoin. Right. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I, I think that the conference, the conferences like that get me worried because I think it, um, just whips people into a frenzy and gets people who, I don't know. It just feels too salesy and you're getting people excited about something that, that is a speculative asset. Yeah. Did they have the same thing at Berkshire 2022? Do they have parades for the U S dollar? Do they have like, yeah, they do. I mean, technically, I mean, they have patriotic parades, you know, I don't know. No, I know. But like when they introduced (laughs) the U S dollar (laughs) where they're like, yeah, yeah, we want, we want to be worth more. When the fed, uh, yeah. When the fed, got invented i don't know yeah it's a it's a tough one i guess we will but okay here's the thing after reading that book about peter Thiel from by max chafkin which probably was biased against him but still right yeah it probably was but it's hard and even when you like look at his his like historical actions it's hard to say that anything every time i look at like his actions, I think there's some sort of an agenda behind it. And a lot of his actions previously have been like politically motivated. And so the book was good though. Really on on the the history. Yeah. I feel like like And his hedge fund blew up. His hedge fund blew up. No, you know, whatever. His hedge fund blew up because of QE. That's uh, because he was betting against QE. So, I mean, he might have. And and no wonder. Yeah. No wonder. No wonder he hates it. Yeah, I mean that when you understand that, then maybe that's why he has hatred for the system. But yeah, I feel like he's Darth Vader though, so I don't want to say anything bad about him because I feel you know like he, he'll send. I feel like he'll he'll send. He will obviously not do that, but I feel like he'll send his droids after me. You know, it's possible. <laughs> he, well, and he, I will is, say- he is scary, even though he doesn't. He like mumbles and he kind of like talks like Elon Musk. Uh, he feels scary to me. I don't know why. Well, he's very calculating, like kind of like you were saying, Ryan. I don't think Peter Thiel does much that he hasn't thought down the road two or three steps. You know, he seems to be, and he's he's known for being a chess player too, right? And I think watching him, it's clear that he's he's always thinking. Um, and whether you love him, whether you hate him, whether you agree with him, whether you don't, I think he's the type of thinker. He's a deep thinker, and I think the type of thinker that is worth taking seriously. And what I mean by that is whatever he's saying, you don't have to agree with it, but I think it's worth considering and worth like not just dismissing out of hand because, um, because there's something, I don't know. He's just one of those guys when he says stuff, I tend to want to try and figure out what he's saying. Right. And, and understand why he's saying that because I don't, I don't come across him very often just making these like surface level, you know, kind of analysis, right. There's, uh, there's a great debate um, that I watched one time. I, I actually was watching a bunch of like debates between different people a couple months back. And there's a debate between him and Mark Andreessen um, where Mark Andreessen's trying to make the point that his side was, I think it's like 50 minutes long, but his side is basically technology is, is great. Technology has been making all these advances in our life, all this type of stuff. And we are 
you know, headed towards potentially a deflationary environment, that type of stuff. And this was probably about five or six years ago. Peter Thiel is on the other side of that saying technology hasn't done much. And what's the, what's the founders fund motto? We wanted flying cars, um, but we were given 140 characters instead or something like that. I'm paraphrasing it, but he basically is trying to make the debate that everyone thinks that technology is so important and that it's done so many things, but we actually haven't done that much with technology. It's just been all these gimmicky little things that don't add that much value to life. Um, you mean he, his arguments over the past like 30 years, right? I think that's insanely wrong. Like we're, we are having a discussion right now in three completely disparate locations with people available to watch it live and ask questions. And then we're going to download it. No one's on right now to ask questions, but eventually (laughs) they will be. I mean, my entire, my entire life's been changed by it. I, I think, I don't know. People always make it seem like it's, Right. And he would, he would say that part of, part of what he cites is that there are like for the amount of scientists we have today, the amount of output we have is way less, right? The output per scientist is less like that for the amount of people you have working on problems or businesses that there's actually just not that much productivity. And so we've kind of had all these advances with like the iPhone, but that, that there haven't been like the massive society altering changes. And I, I tend to agree with you, Ryan. I think that I, I'm more on kind of Mark Andreessen's side of that debate, but, um, but I think he brings up, I don't think everything he's saying with that is entirely false. You know, I think there's, there are some, I think it's surprising to me how slow some of, um, like there's obviously been some great medical advances, but I also am surprised that there haven't been more medical advances in my lifetime, um, today. Uh, and I yeah. think like it's some of the community to, what, stuff, some of the environment stuff, I think, you know, there's, there's advances going on, but I think people are optimistic. Um, I don't know. It, it's the flying cars thing, right? You would have thought if you asked someone a hundred years ago, whether there's going to be flying cars in a hundred years, I'm sure they would have said yes. And yeah, I think flying cars. Are, why does that you know, mean anything though? Cause like, just because some Joe Schmo is like, yeah, we're going to have flying cars. Well, it's not physically possible. Or, <laughs> or it's, it's more like, economically practical to have flying buses aka airplanes like (laughs) we do essentially like we can go anywhere in the world we want this episode is brought to you by la quinta by wyndham here you are miles from home and ready to start your vacation good thing you're staying at la quinta by wyndham they have free high-speed wi-fi to stream all your favorite movies and in the morning get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. Yeah, what's like, interesting on that, yeah, like, uh, it's hard, like, when you say medical stuff, it's hard to say, like, what is the spectrum of success versus not success? I don't know. We just invented a vaccine in a year, like, that was right. really done in three months. That's the average lifespan's double what it was a hundred years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Like, I think that's some good medical improvement. But and one of the other sociopathic grandpas say a few months ago, he said the biggest problem, Munger, this is Munger for anyone that is, that's listening. He said the biggest problem that poor people around the world, well, at least maybe half, maybe the Western world plus China is that they're too fat. That's a pretty good problem to have. Like in all in all sense and right that should be a solvable problem <laughs> like it's like a, it's a problem i would take that like, over starvation 
Yeah, that's right. it's a way better problem to have than we had for most of human history. Or having to hunt but, my food every night. Yeah, the interesting thing <laughs> about saying, yeah, hunting, hunting the food every night. Uh, the interesting thing about the saying there's no innovation is it seems like the period that there was a ton of innovation. Uh, what, what would you say, like 1920-ish to 1980? Something like that is probably, I think, the argument I've heard Teal say. Maybe it was 1960. That, yeah, he that was, was see, one. He, one of his paramount examples, just to to help you, was um, we put a man on the moon, right? Yeah, that we put same. a man on the moon with computers like that pale in comparison to the iPhone today. Yet today, we're not doing anything of that magnitude. Would kind of be his his general argument there. Okay, the, here's the contrasting thing, and this kind of contrast. All right, two things I contrast there is one he founded the thing that he is complaining about and got rich off at Facebook too. This is the problem I kind of have with like the libertarian bent is that they, you know, you want to be libertarian, but then the time when we were the most innovative is when it was kind of all, most of it was coming out of government spending on deep scientific research. So I kind of like those things don't make sense to me. Those were, I mean, yeah, there was a nationalized service that got us to the moon, but it's like, no, everything has to be privatized. So I, I don't know, some of the stuff that those type of people, Silicon Valley people say don't make too much sense to me. <laughs> um, I don't know. It, it feels like not hypocritical. It's just contrasting. Like, I, I don't understand the, the logic, but I don't know. Do we want to move on to another topic? More yeah. 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 Do we, uh, I don't know. Is anyone Here's keeping one. an eye on the chat? Do we have anything on the chat? No, we have three people watching. And one of them's me. So if you're watching, head into the chat. Maybe I'll, I'll respond to you. I think I have my little computer here. But I was watching an investor day the uh, this week. I kind of wanted to see what your guys' thoughts are on these investor days that go on. Because they can be like two hours and the management goes up and they bring out everyone and they kind of talk about their vision. And I, I kind of feel like they can be a bit dangerous. What do you guys, you know, like dangerous yeah. for an investor to get convinced? What do you guys think? Oh, hundred percent. I was listening to a, uh, I was listening to a podcast this week called Bad Bets. It's like a new one. And they, it basically, the first season at Chronicles Enron, essentially from like the point of view of a journalist from Wall Street Journal. And they, they bring in a prudential analyst who was covering Enron at the time. They, they said they, they went to, a shareholder meeting when the stock hadn't been doing super well. And then it was this big sort of grand event and skilling comes on and he's like, now you may want to like, you may want to like listen closely for this next part because well, what I'm about to say is going to revolutionize blah, blah, blah. He's like, we're no longer going to ferry the old uh, we're no longer going to ferry the old fuel, the, the fuel of the old world. Now we're going to be fueling or ferrying information. And he like announced broadband. And then they like had the Sun Microsystems CEO come out to like music and everybody got out of their chairs and was like jumping and cheering because like they were Palmer's like, and Palmer and the developers. Yeah, they're like, we're going into broadband. And like the stock shot up like 30% that day. And like every, she said that like everyone was literally calling their like all all like the people back at work like oh go you go go recommend a buy go recommend a buy and then broadband was a giant flop. Well, they, like, in the in the book, right? They outline how it was failing right from the start, like immediately failing. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, they were they uh, 
the prudential analyst like two months later was there was a job uh job opening at, as a, for analysts at her shop and a bunch of the broadband employees from enron were applying and then she's like why are all these people applying they're like top-notch like resumes they're like why are all these people leaving enron it's supposed to be like the next hot thing and they're like oh we're just we're re- it's an up or out system and they just weren't they weren't good enough and it's like no you're folding the you're folding broadband and you're just not saying it yeah that's that's the extreme example of a bad investor day ian what what are your what are your thoughts on investor days yeah i think investor days and i'll lump in investor presentations that you just because i i often don't like go listen to investor days but i do find myself when you get that investor presentation and they've got all their pretty graphics and they've got all their charts going up and to the right um oftentimes a lot of chart crimes all that type of stuff it is easy to get wrapped in like whoever's making those presentations, whether it's um, some sort of uh, whether they've contracted it out or whether it's an internal team that's doing it, those people, they're sales pitches, right? And so they're trying to, they're trying to tell a good story as they should, but um, you really have to guard yourself because I do find myself kind of nodding along and being like, Oh, I hear where this is going. Oh yeah, this is a problem. Oh, this is how you solve it. Oh, this is why you're better than all your competitors. And one of the things I do to combat that um, is I'll try and read. I'll try never to just read one um, on its own. I'll go look at a competitor as well because it's very easy to get like wrapped up in um, like why they're the best, right? And then if someone asks you, "Oh, why is you know why is Fiverr better than Upwork?" Then you're like, "Uh, well." Um, uh, they had a lot of nice things in their investor presentation. <laughs> You're like that's the one I read. That's the first one I started. With. And so um, I think like, it's just part of psychology. Like they are, and this isn't like a nefarious thing, but they're just, whether it's investor days or investor presentations, um, even like the shinier annual reports, they're trying to tell a story. And so um, I think it's something that as an investor, you have to constantly be aware of and not just buy into the story because it's easy they lay it out for you and they help connect the dots. And it's even like the thing that we hear on conference calls sometimes where people are asking the model questions, right? How should I model this? How should I model that? Oh. Right. Can we, can you tell me this or that or the other thing? And it's very easy for management to walk you through to get you to the feeling or the price target or whatever it is that they want you to get to. That's, that's part of their, their goal as a, you know, as an executive team, particularly as a CEO in a lot of cases. It is, it's funny because we are, we're all going to a shareholder meeting in a month. Like it's like a parade. So it's like, <laughs> and we're, we're making, and, we're making and we're, fun of these. And we're making fun of people worshiping Peter Thiel. And I wanted to say that we basically worship Buffett. Or I don't know about Ian, but me and Ryan. So it's like, you know, you have, you have them on a poster behind look, you. Look right behind now. me. Well, for the one person that's watching, look behind me. We literally, I have the custom, and it's a great poster, the custom Goodfellas poster. I talk about it whenever I can. But yeah. What do you guys think? And you can't say that the automaker that starts with a T is the best chance to be an Enron today. Do you have anything that comes to mind? I know it's impossible almost, but like one stock that maybe you don't own that feels a sizable company. It has to be, yeah, it's probably hard to think off the top of your head, but like for me, it's got to be, um, I don't know, like the revenue looks good. It feels to me like it has to be where the earnings have looked good, but like the cash flow isn't there. I guess I haven't really, whenever I see something like that, I kind of discard it, but 
I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. The, it's hard to do anything. It's hard to have anything in size like that. I think with today's in like world of investors, maybe I'm wrong, but the, like in SPAC land, there's a lot of related party transactions going on and self-dealing that I, I think maybe isn't fully noticed because it isn't disclosed properly. Yeah. And if someone's making up numbers for earnings, then it's impossible to know in hindsight, unless you really like dig deep. So I guess you can't really have a hunch, but there, I think it's some of the fintech companies come to mind for me where they could totally be not pulling investors' legs, but given that they're financial companies and they might be lending or something like that, it like the situation I just have, it's just a hunch. I could be totally wrong. Could be much worse in certain situations than some of those companies make it out to be. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of the ones that tend to be real problematic are like you said, those types of things, whether it's a financial company or companies that um, have kind of an interesting capital structure that makes it a little bit more opaque where things can be deteriorating or things can blow up real fast without um, it showing without up. it showing up in like the profitability or revenue necessarily. Um, and then all of, all of a sudden one day they're just underwater and you're like, whoa, what happened? Um, <laughs> and, and I think yeah. like, I think it's like most of the time you don't see people fudging revenue numbers or profit numbers or things like that. It's hard. I think Apple very hard to do. Apple <laughs> might be a Apple. facade. Yeah. It's I, I don't, I don't, I haven't seen an iPhone in a long time, so it's probably, you know, <laughs> The bubble burst on that one. That just hasn't oh, shown up in the financials yet. Well, that's, I will say that's one of the reasons I, I tend to stay. Well, I don't really invest in uh, Chinese companies. Um, and part of the reason is just because some of the, some of the, uh, the fraud. regulation on them, the fraud, right? Just I, I worry about the luck and coffee situation because in that case, they actually were, right, faking, <laughs> faking revenue numbers, if I'm re- remembering right. And, um, like 400%, 400% growth. You got to believe it. Can't believe it. 400% growth. But I mean, like, who are you to say, like, it's hard as an American investor. Like, I don't know how you figure that out. Yeah. Right. Maybe there were some signs there. I haven't dug deep into that, but like you just kind of take generally as, as American investors, we just kind of take their word for it that the numbers we're getting are the right numbers. And then we're going to make a decision based on those numbers. But if there's any doubt yeah. about what the right numbers are, like that just has to so dramatically increase your required return. Um, at least for me and my risk tolerance that I just, I can't, I just can't justify it, but yeah, I agree what, with all that. What are you guys' thoughts on China having this little COVID outbreak kind of then shutting down their economy in a few in, in Shanghai? That, I did see some insane videos from Shanghai. Yeah. They brought in the military. I have I don't know any of the details, but everyone's shut in and apparently some people aren't getting food. Like they just get delivered like, a few potatoes. I was reading the Ben Thompson. He interviewed some Chinese guy. Uh, I sometimes worry. I sometimes worry what information I'm, I worry about the accuracy of some of the information on China that I get. Well, this guy's from China. He lives in Twitter sphere. Yeah. The Twitter sphere. Sometimes you don't know zero hedge, you know, check, check your sources. Uh, But what, I mean, I'm not even the thoughts on that in general, not even politically, but just like how like that could affect inflation and any physical company that's trying to get goods over to the Western world. It and seems yeah, like it could have some, another roadblock. Yeah. Yeah. Potentially. I don't know. 
Apparently, I feel like we've finally been... hitting some sort of roadblock, like Foxconn and stuff. It's hard to, I don't know. Seems like a risk, a bit a sizable risk to me. I'm tired of trying to forecast like the the impacts of COVID outbreaks because it's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible, and like I don't know how like governments are going to react. Obviously, like it sounds like China's been more uh, con- controlling. Like 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 tried to control the situations more than some other countries, um, but what bearings does that have on trade? I I really don't. I have no idea. Or really, your portfolio yeah. companies. Yeah. Yeah, I think the one thing, the one effect that I've realized is going to happen, and this is has a positive effect for some of the companies, negative effect for others. But I think there's going to be more and more redundancies in supply chains, um, and I think that's that's something I'm fairly confident about that there's going to be more uh, manufacturing in the United States, more manufacturing in North America, more manufacturing in Europe. Um, and as just as people try and insulate themselves so that they don't have to be worrying about whether it's geopolitical or whether it's you know, COVID or other um, diseases or viruses. And I, I just, I think that that's the one fairly sure bet that there's gonna be a lot more like I said, redundancies in supply chains moving forward. And I think we've started to see that. And it's one of the things that makes me like interested in um, uh, what's the company we looked at the other day, Applied Materials, that that goes out there and helps or basically provides the manufacturing equipment for, for the chip makers um, or the yeah. semiconductors. And, um, you know, I, I haven't started a position in that, but it's just something that those are the types of opportunities that I think make some sense right now it's just a question of whether how much of that's priced in yeah it's it's a tough situation i try to just avoid any like invest in stuff and it's tough to invest in stuff that's not gonna hopefully not gonna be directly impacted by that type any sort of thing whether it's positive or negative which is why unfortunately i just apple and starbucks and nike for me are kind of no-goes i do try to limit my exposure to china just broadly in, in the portfolio and it's, I know it's hard because like it's such a big opportunity and so it's almost like do they do they just avoid the opportunity to grow all together just to have like a sense of security from the financials that's kind of I don't know it's like I do get worried when a company has 30 40 percent of their business in China yeah or most of the growth or a lot of the growth. Kind of That's like what it. kept me out of Starbucks was this was a couple of years ago, but I remember looking at it and being like, okay, I like this business. I think there's some automation opportunities that may improve margins and stuff like that. But when you look at it, basically all the growth was coming from China. And I was like, I don't really want to be making that bet. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and they partner with Alibaba and that seemed great. But then now all the CEOs of, I think, and Richard, now is it Richard Liu? The JD.com was the last guy. He's out now. All those founders are gone. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how big is that partnership with Alibaba mean? Like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> what do you guys think about Starbucks? The new, uh, what happened with the well, what do you guys think? again? Yeah, what do you guys think about Starbucks today? Today. It's probably going to be hard to lose money. You think? Unless, China blows, unless their China business blows up, which is unlikely, but it, it probably seems like it's hard to lose money. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. 
you'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Yeah. Schultz seems Didn't like they get into her. NFTs? No, no, that wasn't them. I don't think so. Chipotle <laughs> I I is on Roblox, though. Chipotle, you can get burritos in, in Roblox now. That's huge. <laughs> that's like the least that's probably the last thing i would think would go to like the metaverse is chipotle but hey you <laughs> or fit like physical food like <sighs> literal <laughs> calories like how do you well what do you guys think about <clears throat> starbucks and more serious note schultz has had to come back like three times now like isn't that kind of a red flag that he's not good at setting up a culture for long-term success like if he has to be there that's a slight red flag to me yeah, I I agree. And I actually kind of worry about Starbucks's uh, and maybe it's starting to fade now, but I was worried about their durability and like have sitting in the coffee shops gone forever. And I think that that culture uh was a big part of Starbucks, that environment of being able to sit down and like enjoy your coffee and have sort of that Italian experience, which was it Italian or French that Schultz tried to emulate from the beginning. I think it's I, Italian. I think that might be gone. And I'm seeing a lot of these Starbucks pop up that are, they have no lobby or they have no like uh, dining area. It's just like a grab and go. And does that make you, that almost put puts you, more on level footing with the typical coffee shop as opposed to what you used to be. Maybe. Yeah. And there was what that one below your apartment that used to live in Ryan. Yeah. I never, it's pretty busy though. I I never saw one person go in there. No, I walk by it every day coming to the office and there's people picking stuff up. It's, it's pickup though. So it's like people aren't in there. You know what I mean? Guess the the economics are probably better on those, but it's very small. Yeah. But that's ruining the experience and the coffee's not that great. Like, for people, I don't even drink that much coffee. So, right, but but to that point, and this is anecdotal, but no one, if I ask someone what their favorite coffee shop is or where they like to go to work, you know, if they are going to go for that coffee shop experience and get, you know, bring a laptop or have a meeting or do stuff like that, like no one says Starbucks, right? It's never like, and I don't know if that's a big deal because people still use Starbucks. And like the good thing about Starbucks is you know the experience you're going to get. Right. I was, I was in Puerto Rico a couple months back and I needed to get some work done and there was a Starbucks down the road and I knew it was going to be good. Right. And the Wi-Fi was going to work and all that type of stuff. And so like when I'm traveling, I find that I gravitate towards Starbucks. If I'm in my hometown, I tend to try and find other coffee shops because there are better experiences out there, but there's something about knowing what you're going to get. Yeah. There's people, Um, I mean, the drive-thrus are still, I don't know, 15 minute waits. So I think that's a good sign that people are yeah. still willing to do that. But I just don't know where the growth comes from. That's and, and what do you think about the big union kind of unionization thing? Yeah. And, and it looks like you're right. The uh, there is some the talk of NFTs with Starbucks. No, Schultz way. made some announcement. Yeah. That, uh, told you. Yeah. I, I told you. 
They're talking so. about worker benefits and digital innovation using NFTs. Well, now so. I'm bullish. So. Red flag. <laughs> Big red flag. Uh, Going in the short know. book. Yeah, we should be clear, though. I don't know Starbucks' financials at all recently. Like, I haven't followed it closely. So I comped them. Like this is a while ago, but I did like sort of just like some financial comparisons to Dutch Bros, um, and I, I thought Dutch Dutch at the time was like wildly overvalued. I haven't kept up with it since, but the economics at Dutch Bros, I believe, were better. Like prof, uh, like the contribution profit margins, um, even though Starbucks doesn't report that, but the store growth. Starbucks has a much bigger store base, obviously, and the store growth rate was similar. Yeah. Which is pretty shocking. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't, I don't have, like, I feel like there's just so many easier businesses to own than Starbucks. Maybe I'm wrong. Oh, well, I have this thing. value. I, I don't know what their valuation is, but I remember it being like 30 times earnings. And it's just like, it just seems like there's a lot easier things to own at 30 times. Earnings kind of like I mean it's it's a bit like Costco. I don't think it's as as high quality of a business as Costco, but it's one of those where you know the growth isn't going to be that high. So why are you paying up so much for it? I know Costco's Costco's insanely priced right now, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Well, it's like yeah. doubled in the last year, something like that. Like the mult, yeah, the multiple has. Like, let me check. Let's get on the old coif in here. Yeah, so just to touch on Starbucks real quick. Starbucks um, is trading about 25 times uh, free cash flow in that ballpark. So 25. about, yeah, about market multiple, a little bit, a little bit expensive, but, um, and relative to earnings, they are like 22 times, 23 times. Uh, Last twelve months. Okay, I don't know. I don't know what this tells, but Costco current EV to sales for the last twelve month, which wow, maybe they're more profitable. Uh, was is one point three times versus point eight times last year. Mm. Yeah, I mean margins can't have been gotten that much better. It says here PEs can be wrong on the aggregators, but it says here PE last twelve month is forty eight. I mean that's I don't know. Maybe just they're like one of those never sells. So like no one's selling. So it, it doesn't matter. It'll, it'll catch up eventually. EV to EBITDA last 12 months. Wow. Or, sorry. Current, current to last 12 month EBITDA is 25.7 times. Last year it was 17.9 times. So there's been yes. some multiple expansion. And EBITDA is a bad number for them. Yeah. But I, I'm just yeah, comping, comping it versus last year. Yeah. yeah. Free cash flow is. Let's see which number is that. Yeah, free cash flow multiple is risen. It's about fifty times right now. Fifty. Gosh. Wow, that's expensive. Even Munger was like, "Listen, I'm not going to sell it, but I want to buy it right now." (laughs) And he's on the board. (laughs) And he's been there forever. To to go back to Starbucks and more just generally about some automation. um, Huh. Let's look at this. At the end of, I'm just going to make one last comment on Costco. Actually, at the end of 2020, Costco was at like 16 times free cash flow. Dang. Now it's at 50. Um, it has tended to be around, well, it's jumped around a little bit. It's been between 
basically 20 and 50 times, which is a pretty big range with a big chunk of time around 50. I did see a quote. I did see a quote where if you God, I'm kind of blanking on it, but if you bought Costco above 30 times at above 30 times earnings at any point in the last 20 years, you would have made money over like a like five year or you would have beat the market over like a five year period or something like that. 30 is different than 45 though. Yeah, it's way different. But and and I, I do think it's pretty insanely priced, but the uh that is that is maybe that is why it belonged in the uh, best businesses of all time discussion. Yeah, spoiler. Yes. That's for uh, teasing it for the roundtable whenever we really release that. I think people will assume that it's in that discussion. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Hey, wasn't it yeah, mine? To give to give a shout out for that discussion, that was one of the, I think one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. So that's Same. coming out next week or the week after. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I, I don't it's, remember. It's whatever one Brady chooses to do first. So we have two bonuses in the queue. So four, four, It's coming out 4-13, so that might actually be coming out before this. No, no. This this will go on the this podcast is, tomorrow. So Well, this is live right now. So Yeah. I know, but when we publish it to the podcast. It'll go on the podcast this weekend, so, so no. This will come out beforehand. But yeah, that was a good one. What do you guys... Let me... Do you have your guys' list? I actually forgot. The order. I have my list. I, I'm committed to memory. All right. Yeah, I had Hershey in there. Brett's frozen. Am I saying that right? Does Brett look frozen? I'm not. I mean, everyone's such as me. I think it was just you, but I think everyone's good now. Uh, All right, my list. I'll I'll redo it. Wait, no. What if this is coming out first? I don't want to do it. Yeah, tease it. Just tease one, maybe. Tease. Well, Costco's in there. (laughs) All right, Costco's in there. And Ian, you had you had something that was. Uh, kind of a bit of a wild card, right? If I'm forgetting. Yeah, I've got oh. I've got a bit of a wild card on my list. It's a, I won't even say what it is, but it's a a, a very popular private, um, family owned restaurant, a right. fast food restaurant. Right, right, right. Might or might not be closed on Sundays. You'd call uh, it fast food. You would call that fast food. Fast casual, know. right? Fast. Oh, that's definitely yeah. they're fast food. They're yeah, fast they food. Yeah, they're, they're not like Panera on the. Better side, I suppose. Right, it's high quality fast food, but I think I would still call it fast food. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame they're not open on Sundays, man. It's always yeah. that's like the day I crave it. The that's most. when you want it. Yeah, I know. Like, you drive by and you're like, oh man, I'm gonna get some Chick Fil A today. You know, oh, you spoiled it today. <laughs> well, it could be Chick Fil A, maybe. But we're yeah, just saying. We're just, just, just that's just just a few of those restaurants that are you know restaurants like that. popular restaurants like that that may be closed on Sundays, right? That you know, there cool. is a company that went public like recently called Portillos. That's like a hot dog. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, hot I thought it was called. They call it Portillos. I thought it was Portillos. Portillos, maybe that's what it is, but no, I, think it's, I, I think it's Portillos, but anyways, they're like on. Chicago no, hot dogs, but they uh, they have the highest sales per restaurant of any restaurant of uh, any fast casual restaurant. I guess there they have a couple in Phoenix. I've been there once or twice. It is crazy. Is it like, good? There's just always people just like packed in those places. What I mean, what's what so special it? about the hot dogs? They well, are good hot Chicago dogs. On. They just put Chicago <laughs> on, then it's good. Yeah, if you put Chicago on anything in Phoenix, it draws a crowd. But, but apparently, um, you're not allowed to have like uh, uh, Chicago hot dogs. You're like not allowed to have ketchup. Isn't that a thing? 
Yes, they have a few different versions of hot dogs you can get there. And I get a chili dog when I go there generally. But um, it's they're just good hot dogs. They're not too expensive. Huh. You feel like you can get a lot. And it just fills you up and it's good. And it's particularly, there's a lot of people who go during spring training out here because there's one by one of the spring training fields. And so before the spring training games, it's just packed with people getting their, oh, getting their hot dogs at Portillo's before they go and get their hot dog at the game. But I don't know. Are they to... franchised? Uh, probably not. They're at two times sales. Wow. Could be interesting to take a look at. Never heard of them. Nothing beats, uh, nothing beats the $1.50 hot dog soda deal at Costco, though. Yeah, that it might be the best, like... If I were just like super broke, I think I'd eat at Costco every day. Like that's it worth a membership. Why do you have to be? Why do you have to be super broke? What if you're just really committed to investing as much of your? Yeah, I guess that's that's my. You know, I I would eat at Costco every day if it was a little closer. Wow, Portillos, Portillos. This is getting interesting. Let's take a look. Sorry, I'm still looking. I'm looking at Quiffin. Huh. Not investment. I think you can. Can you eat at the Costco's without a membership? You used uh, to be able to. Not, I don't recently, so. recently though, when I've gone, um, they've been asking for my card, so I think they may have, they may have wised up to that. Yeah, that cost guess, guess not the healthiest meal in the world, but no, <laughs> no, hot dog and unlimited Pepsi. What? No, it says one hundred percent beef. Probably healthy. The uh, have you had any of those? I have to ask this too. Have you ever had one of their chicken bakes? It's a little more expensive, but those things are good. I think I got food poisoning from them. I'm pretty sure. And that like, and maybe, maybe it wasn't specifically from that, but I had it one time and then like, I just got insanely sick and I haven't been able to have it since. Like it's like a scarring when I smell it. I'm like, all right. What do you think has more pricing power? Costco membership or Amazon prime? Costco. Gotta go with Costco. Yeah. What do you think? What does it cost right now? I think they're actually fairly close on price. Costco membership. Isn't Costco like a hundred a year? Yeah, but they raised it. So. Yeah. I think it's only, they've got a couple different types of. 120. I I think they're. At Costco or Amazon? 120 at Costco. Amazon's 140. And I think, I think both have pretty good price for sixty dollars, maybe too. There's a they have something where you have to do like affiliate cart holder thing. I'm not going to read it, but yeah, I mean that Costco deal. I mean, yeah, if you, I, if you, I mean, any family, it's you have to. I don't have a Prime membership. Really? Yeah. I'm on my family's, so I actually don't shop on Amazon very much. Strange. Just, I shop I on them constantly, like all the time. The thing that would determine I'm strange. I just hate going to the store. (laughs) For for me, Costco has more pricing power unless I started um, getting a bunch of groceries through like Amazon Fresh or um, Whole Foods like delivered to me. If I started getting a lot of my groceries from there, then it would switch where that was where the Prime membership would be more important. But for now, the Costco membership is more important just because that's where I do more shopping. Yeah, it's different for me because I like shopping in the store for groceries but everything else i i do dislike a lot so i think amazon prime has more pricing power for me but if i had a family i think costco would have more pricing power like what do you buy like i i agree with you i i prefer shopping online for just about everything but let me go through i like (laughs) i like buy something on amazon like once a month you know (laughs) like let's let's look look at the orders here 
I actually got Prime my myself, but then I told my family was on it, and I was like, "Hey guys, you wanna you're using it? Why don't you uh maybe you for works on this is before this is while I was still in college. All right, screen protector and screen. You didn't just get that when you checked out at the store. No, I I got the I got my new phone online. They didn't have it as like an a like an attached like you kind of buy it with it. No, it didn't. It didn't come with it because I got that free deal. Uh, I got some oatmeal. Some raw. I feel like oatmeal is the easiest thing in the world to buy on Amazon. You just it's like perfect. Subscribe and save. Subscribe and save. I do. uh, I got some rice. Proud of India. Let's look. Well, I was in. Yeah, but see, this is all like food stuff. You know, that's like. I get like if I was getting my food stuff on Amazon. Yeah, I get bulk. I just haven't needed like that. Maybe maybe it's just like I haven't needed that much stuff recently. And honestly, if I want some, maybe I'm just like a procrastinating shopper. But like yesterday, I needed something immediately. Like I needed this headset to record. And I'm like, I don't want to take the risk of Amazon potentially being like a day late. True. And so I'm like, I'm just going to go to the store. It probably would have been cheaper on Amazon, but I like the, the that I can get it immediately. Yeah. I got some mouthwash. <laughs> I like to get my Good. bathroom stuff on there. Like if I know something's running low, I know it'll get there in like three days minimum. And then I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, any other topics, any questions in the chat? I really uh, liked it better when we had two questions. We had three people watching. No, no questions in the chat. We got like no 10 questions. minutes left here. Will you lob us? One like thing, a, uh, uh, Ian, well, I've got a little bit of a topic here that all right. I, I almost brought up a second ago, but this is going back towards the Starbucks example a little bit um, or this Starbucks discussion we were having earlier, but it's more of just a kind of an example to use. What do you guys think about automation over the next number of years? Um, And are we going to see that have a positive impact on margins for some businesses? Because that was what was got me interested. That was what got me interested in Starbucks a couple of years ago was I started thinking, man, if instead of having, you know, two or three or four baristas here, they've got like one person and the rest is just all automated. It's a little bit of a capital investment up front, but you know, does that give them a few extra points of margin and change the profitability, um, you know, in a substantial way for something like Starbucks? And especially when they they're dealing with um, all these union unionization fights right now, I wonder does it spur movement towards that even faster? And with mobile orders, like there's already so much. Like I I don't know what the numbers are in Starbucks, but I assume a, a big proportion of their um, orders aren't even happening in person, right? That people are doing it on their app and then coming and picking them up. But I just, I, I keep thinking that there's going to be some businesses here that we look back on in 10 years and go, man, that was stupid of me. Like clearly they were going to automate that and it was going to become more cost efficient and they're going to get all this extra, you know, this, this margin expansion because of it. And I should have seen it coming, but I didn't. And I just wonder about, you know, Starbucks being one of those examples, but I wonder about other businesses kind of in that vein as well. Starbucks might be able to, uh, they might be doing it, I guess. And I, I just haven't noticed. I know I've seen Costco doing it out of their, um, out of like the food part, the whatever the restaurant part, like it's all kiosks now yeah, and yeah. people just like, like grab it and put it up there. But that's obviously not going to move the needle for Costco. I think the most, the most, the one that's probably a layup is just getting rid of, cashiers or whatever you'd call that checkout 
people and it's all going to be automated, potentially all going to be licensed out by Amazon with that software they've seen that they really have nailed down now. But with food handling, it's it's not, I don't want to say infinitely, but it's way, way more difficult. Um, well, uh, maybe grocery store operating margins will expand without, uh, if maybe. everything's or, like self, self-checkout. Amazon's oh. will. I don't know about, I don't know if it'll get replaced by that same license, but I think, yeah, grocery stores potentially, they could have margin expansion because of that. But I think just restaurants are in a tougher, tougher, um, I don't know. It's just a tougher game. And you have to ask, okay, you have to have this capital investment into these robots or whatever and automation. And how much, how fast is that truly depreciating? Mm-hmm. I think there's just a lot of uncertainty. Like Amazon was supposed to be doing this, what with stuff with Kiva robots, right? And I'm sure they've gotten some efficiencies out of that. But right now they have over a million employees, so they needed humans. And what Have I, you guys heard about the uh, Amazon union? Just headlines. Haven't researched it. I like the stock, so. There was like a Wall Street Journal podcast about it, and they had sort of the, the organizer of the union. They interviewed him. And uh, at first I was like, well, I'm not sure the union's ultimately in your best interest. But then like by the end of it, he, he kind of got me like on, on team union because there was a leaked memo from within Amazon from like management that said like, we're going to use this guy to show like how bad of an idea unions are because he like wasn't super articulate and like, like what you're going to follow this guy. And mm. for that to get leaked, just short that just shows like, that's just fuel to the fire because it feels like management is so like demeaning and degrading to like the frontline workers. Their accident the rates are, yeah. Amazon's accident rates are quite high too compared to other warehouses. So I don't know. They provide yeah. pretty good benefits. But uh, just from an investing perspective, it gets me concerned when companies have to have a lot of manual labor because right now those, and as just a, like a person, it, it makes me happy, but those, that demographic or not demographics, the wrong term, that cohort of workers has a lot of um, operating leverage. So Amazon, Starbucks, anyone like that, like it just gets me concerned about employee costs. And I don't know if I've ever like, and maybe it's just because Amazon employs so many people, but there's a lot of negative, just a lot of negative press about like working at Amazon and just maybe the job conditions. Uh, I I don't, I don't know if it was like the, the people peeing while they're driving to, to meet the quota that got, that kind of put me on that uh, union track, but it's, that is, that's like a concerning aspect because people like the public always sides, I think with like the labor or, most, most people side with labor. Yeah. And so to have like that negative reputation, I don't know. I think, I think it puts potentially like sales at risk. Well, that's sales or, margins, right? Are you saying well, margins because you'll see wage pressure, but also like maybe there's people Some consumer backlash. Right? Consumers uh, that are like, well, if I have the if I can get the same product somewhere else, uh, I'll, I'll favor something that isn't a big corporation that's like treating 
workers poorly. I don't know. I don't know if they're actually treating workers poorly, but if they have that reputation, uh, I think maybe there's like a push for the little guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Amazon was not on our highest quality. No, one AWS made it for uh for one of those. The best Amazon reasons. was on Amazon was on my list as well, actually. Yeah, but is it was it because of AWS or? Um, Yes, to some extent, but it was, it was, I put the whole business on there. Yeah. I mean, Prime's a great, Prime's a great model. Dude, I think, I think AWS is still like masking their true profitability. Like they, (laughs) I saw 18 billion, they did, yeah, 30% operating margins and they've been growing like gangbusters for the last five years. I saw an AWS ad on the back of a bus in, in Seattle the other day. And I'm like, who, what are you, what are you doing here? Like, I know damn well that marketing budget is going nowhere. Like who, who do you think is going to see this? That's going to like, like some CTO is going to be on the bus and be like, well, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'll uh, shift, shift, yeah. shift the whole system to the cloud. I haven't heard of AWS yet. What is that? Yeah. yeah. Now that I've seen it on a, on the back of a bus, maybe I'll. Uh... Should they spin, should they spin AWS to get the value? And let people buy what they want, or does AWS give them a cushion because retail might not be as great of a business as people think? I think because of AWS, they've made retail a potentially worse business. Like they have not, they haven't needed to extract the margins out of it. They probably could have, but they've invested so much in back into it that they maybe a bit reckless. Yeah, it gives them it gives them more leeway to like take risks within that segment. Well, they're burning $4 billion a year on Alexa. I mean, let's just get rid of that. You know, that <laughs> flopped. Let's get rid of it. You know, like. It's it, still, yeah, it is still so like. Alexa's just, it's gimmicky still. Yeah. Well, when, when is I, it? Like when I ask Alexa something, I still am like, oh, look at me using a robot. <laughs> There's no, yeah. It's, it's like just a dad. It's like a dad thing to show off to I know. The, the neighborhood party. I mean, where's the ROI? Like Alexa's cool, but where's the ROI? That's all. I, yeah. Yeah, I don't but, see it. But who knows? Maybe they'll come up with another Kindle or another um, another big product. Amazon Fire Phone that could come back. <laughs> the Fire Phone, yeah. I mean, they've had a lot yeah. of failures, and they haven't had a big product that's really succeeded lately. But maybe the Skunk Works. You know, that's kind of how Skunk Works goes. Sometimes you have a big dry period. So yeah. we could be fading. Yeah, and I think that's the good thing about the NY. You know, the retail business isn't like the best part of Amazon, obviously, but I think it gives them a pretty incredible platform to to be able to try new things, right? When you've got that many that much volume happening on your site every single day and you've got that many customers um, who trust you, being able to pitch them new ideas, like you said, obviously it doesn't always work out, but um, it gives them gives them access to to a lot of growth if they can hit, if they can get a good product out there. And so, um, and even like the ads business, right. Being able to like just layer stuff on top of the retail business, that's more profitable. Um, I think is, I don't know. I, I wouldn't mind if they spun out AWS. I think that would probably unlock the value. And I think that the retail business is good enough on its own and they can continue to layer stuff on top of it, that it would be a reasonable bet. Like I think at this point, there's no reason those have to be connected. And in a lot of ways, if AWS was spun out, um, like I'm sure there would still be some hesitancy, but it would probably make people less worried about using the service too than as uh, directly uh, as a part of Amazon. 
Yeah, how Microsoft's gotten all the retail competitors. Yeah, that's interesting. Right. Hey, uh, we, we may want to sign off here. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, it's been an hour. All right, Let's, that's going to do it. Give us a, a review. On, throw a disclosure. Oh, throw a disclosure oh, on a, it. We have a Oh, do we? Uh, but also uh, tell them when we do this every time. Oh, right. I know. Yeah. I know we had it off today by an hour. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, we're trying to do it every Friday. It's going to be every Friday. And we're trying to do it at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Get the notifications on YouTube if you want, but they will be recorded. So if you don't want to listen to it live, no worries. But we would like to have some people join the chat. And it's just Ian trying to populate that right now. Uh, give us a review on iTunes or Spotify. And again, it's just going to be on the same Chit Chat Money feed for all of these. So don't think you have to follow anything new if you're already there. Remember, or no, no disclosure. I think that's going to be it. 